السلام علیکم و رحمۃ اللہ وبرکاتہ very good that she's saying that somebody just said salam to her and she responded with the full greeting wa alaykum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh and the other person was just standing there in shock because this was something new from her right she said that before she would mumble out the salam or the response to it or you know say it really fast but now she took care in pronouncing it enunciating it properly with care very good i had to respond to someone's email And they had written, As-salamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. I'm like, man, I can't even smile over here. Do you see what I mean? Like, okay, you can send it in writing. You know, if somebody is in front of you, you can go ahead and shake their hands, right? You can initiate the handshake, you can smile, you can do something to make the response better. So over there I felt, okay, it has to be awrudduha. It has to be just the exact same response. The question is that if somebody walks into the house, like her dad, when he walks in, he says, As-salamu alaykum to everybody. She said that, what if I'm in the bedroom or I'm in the washroom, am I supposed to respond to the greeting? Obviously, if you're in the washroom, you're not going to. But if you're in your bedroom and you've heard the greeting, then you can say, Wa alaykum as-salam. If you're at that level of frankness, that you can actually say it out loud, you can do that. If you're not, then you can just say softly. And if you can, then you should go up to him, at least look up, you know, from wherever you are and respond to the greeting. Okay? She's saying that whenever she learns something new, she likes to share it with other people. And when she shares it with them, then, alhamdulillah, it sticks to her mind. Then she does not forget it. So she said that she shared this verse with people, and alhamdulillah, throughout the week, she was remembering this verse. Yes. She's saying that at workplace when people would say good morning or hello, then she would always have this feeling of guilt that am I doing the right thing if I respond to them saying hello or good morning. But now alhamdulillah she's learned that if as long as she's within the limits of the sharia, the meaning is correct. And that if it's the opposite gender, it's in the appropriate way, then inshallah there's no harm. I have uh, some family members that are non-Muslim, so they know Arabic. And so one, one time I had an experience that he said to me, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. But I answered only wa alaikum wa salam. Then he, since he knows, he said, why you are not answering me the whole salam? I said, hadakumullah. He said, what is that? I said, then I got the point of dawa. I said, when you are Muslim, then I can answer you back the whole wa alaikum wa salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Since you are not a Muslim and you have to say la ilaha, then I can say you. So I can't. Good, mashallah. We see in the sunnah that when the Prophet ﷺ did greet the non-Muslims, it was never As-salamu alaykum. It was always As-salamu ala man al-huda. Peace be on the one who follows the guidance. So in that was kind of indirect da'wah. So like her, what happened with her, that when who was a non-Muslim, they said the greeting to her, she just said wa alaykum or wa alaykum as-salam, then um, you know, she was able to da'wah as well. You had something to share? Uh, when I share that with my kids, they are all the time now in the competition, like who's going to say it first, but not like only assalamu alaikum, but complete and assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Very good, mashallah. Go ahead. 
السلام علیکم you know when people ask you that why you don't respond to me fully because i had this question there was a girl working with me she lived in the gulf and she says why do you always stop short of responding to me fully so i was stuck i had to give her an explanation but now later on i understood that you don't believe in allah and salam is a dua how can i make dua to somebody for you when you don't believe in him this is the explanation like sometimes you might have people asking why did you respond like this Lesson number 62 Nahmaduhu wa nusalli ala rasulihi al-kareem Amma ba'd fa'a'udhu billahi minash shaytani rajeem Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim Suratun Nisa ayah number 94 to 104 Ya ayyuhalladhina amanu O you who have believed Idha darabtum fi sabilillahi when you strike in the way of Allah What does it mean by darabtum Darabtum literally means to strike But over here remember that the word daraba okay It also means to travel. Okay? And daraba fi sabilillah is to travel for the cause of Allah. To go forth for the sake of battle. For whose sake? For the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So in other words, O believers, when you go for battle in Allah's cause, then what should you do? فَتَبَيَّنُوا Then investigate. تَبَيَّنُوا from بَيَّنُونَ Bayan to be clear, tabayyanu, make clear, investigate, find out the reality. Find out the reality of who? Clarify the reality of who? Of the one whom you're going to fight. Of the one whom you're going to take steps against. That is he really an enemy? Or is he someone who is indifferent to you? Is he someone who is a believer? Find out who they are before you take any step against them. وَلَا تَقُولُوا And do not say لِمَن To the one who أَلْقَى He throws from لَام قَافِيَا إِلْقَى is to throw Literally it is to throw But in the context over here it gives the meaning of He offers Because when you throw something towards someone You are passing it to them You are showing it to them You are sending it to them Alright So over here it gives the meaning of He offers He offers what? إِلَيْكُمْ To you السَّلَامَ The salam So the person who offers the salam to you, do not say to him, Lesta, you are not mu'minan, a believer. If someone says salam to you, don't say that you are not a believer. Do not do this. Rather, investigate. Now in the previous verses, we learned about the command to fight. That it was given explicitly. That the Muslims have been commanded to go and fight for the cause of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But remember, That just like we don't do anything in our religion according to our own whims and desires, according to our own wishes, just like that when it comes to battle also, there are certain guidelines that a Muslim has to observe. He can't just say, oh, I'm fighting for the cause of Allah and bomb blast. Oh, I'm fighting for the cause of Allah and I'm going to stab someone to death. This is not fighting for the cause of Allah. When a person does anything... For Allah, as a Muslim, he has to observe certain guidelines. He has to be within the boundaries of certain do's and don'ts. Take the example of eating. A simple thing such as eating. Do we eat anything we want? Do we drink anything we want? No. Can we just throw food if we feel like it? No, we are not allowed to do that. So when there are so many restrictions in the matter of eating, in the matter of dressing up, in the matter of greeting someone, then come on, 
there have to be restrictions in the matter of fighting as well. Because that is something much more serious. Because that means some people will lose their lives. They will lose their properties. And we learned in the previous verses about the seriousness of killing someone. That how if a person kills an innocent individual, then what's his punishment? His punishment is hellfire basically. To the point that some scholars said that he cannot even repent. They took this matter so seriously. So the point here is that when a believer goes out for the cause of Allah, then he has to observe certain guidelines. Why? Because our deen makes us responsible, purposeful, civilized individuals who take responsibility for their actions. And who ensure that none of their actions will be detrimental for the good of everyone. So there is a code of conduct for everything and there is a code of conduct for war as well. And over here in this verse, another very important etiquette is being taught. What is this etiquette? What is this rule? That when a Muslim goes for battle, and obviously it will be fi sabilillah, it will be for the sake of Allah, according to the laws of Allah, then he cannot take any action before he investigates. Meaning before he investigates the reality of the one whom he is about to fight. That is he really the enemy or not? Is he someone who deserves to be fought or not? He cannot jump to conclusions in this matter. He cannot assume someone to be guilty, to be responsible. He cannot make this conclusion himself that, oh, this person must be an enemy, so there we should go and attack him. No, this is something that a believer is not allowed to do. وَلَا تَقُولُوا And do not say, لِمَنْ أَلْقَى إِلَيْكُمُ السَّلَامَ لَسْتَ مُؤْمِنًا And when you're about to fight someone, and they say to you, Assalamu alaikum then don't say to him, you're not a believer. I'm still going to fight you. No. If someone says, Assalamu alaikum to you, give them the benefit of the doubt. Maybe they are Muslim. Maybe they are. Because Assalamu alaikum, what is it? It is a greeting of Muslims. It is a sign of a believer. So if a person says, Assalamu alaikum, don't start looking at them and saying, oh, are they Muslim or not? You know, one is that you know, you have a non-Muslim friend, and every time they greet you, they say, assalamu alaikum. And you know they're not Muslim. That's a different story. This is like meeting a stranger, coming across someone, and they say salam to you. Over there, don't say to them, you're not a Muslim, you're not a believer. And especially in the context of battle, that you're about to fight someone, you're about to raise your sword against them, and they say, assalamu alaikum. Then don't take any action. Don't say you're not a Muslim. Another meaning of salam over here is salam, meaning submission. That he offers submission. In other words, he declares shahada. He says, La ilaha illallah, Muhammadur Rasulullah. I bear witness. You know, I testify. I am a Muslim. But don't say to this person, you're not a Muslim. And then attack him. Remember that there were many people who lived in the outskirts of Medina where there were people who had no intention to harm Muslims. There were always people who had the intention to harm Muslims as well. So the Prophet ﷺ would regularly send his companions in the outskirts of Medina far and wide. Why? To find out if there was any risk of some enemy being there and attacking the Muslims and their properties. So once what happened, that a group of Muslims, they were sent. And they came across a shepherd. And they thought that he was a spy or someone from the enemy. So they decided that they were going to take action against him. So they went up to him, they caught him, 
And he said, Assalamu alaikum. He alqa ilaykum salam. He offered submission. He declared his Islam. But they said, No, no, you're just doing this to save your life. You're just doing this to save your life. They considered him to be a spy or someone from the enemy, and what did they do? They assassinated him. When the Prophet ﷺ found out, he was very, very upset. And we learned that he said, that did you cut open his heart and see if there was Islam in there or not? How do you know? If someone is saying they are Muslim, accept them as Muslim. Don't generalize, don't assume, don't jump to conclusion. Because this is what? In reality, this is hastiness. Right? This is ajala. And al-ajala is minash-shaytan. It is from shaytan. Being hasty, taking action without any research, without any investigation. This is from shaytan. This is how he makes us commit major, major mistakes. So the ayah was revealed that, وَلَا تَقُولُوا لِمَنْ أَلْقَى إِلَيْكُمُ السَّلَامَ لَسْتَ مُؤْمِنًا And also remember that every day people were embracing Islam. Someone would be an enemy, a mushrik yesterday, and today they were Muslim. Now some people, they would find out about their conversion, but not everybody. And doesn't that make sense? It does. You know, these days if something happens immediately, it's put on Twitter, Facebook, so immediately advertised. But back then, news would not spread like this. So if somebody was non-Muslim yesterday, today they embraced Islam, you don't know about their Islam. So you cannot take any measures against them unless and until you find out, unless and until you investigate. تَبْتَغُونَ عَرَضَ الْحَيَاةِ dunya. You seek, you aspire the arad of this life. تَبْتَغُونَ from ibtigha What does that mean? To desire, to seek. So when you find such a person, what are you seeking? What do you want? What's your main goal? Is it really to earn the pleasure of Allah or is it something else? Sometimes it is something else. Tabtaguna, you are seeking Arad al Hayat dunya Arad, what does Arad mean? Benefit, goods. The goods of this worldly life. If that's the case, Farindallahi, then with Allah are Maghani Mukathiratun, are many acquisitions. Maghanim is the plural of Maghnam. And Maghnam from the root letters Ghain Noon Meem is used for booty, spoils, profits, gains, and it's from the word ghanam. Ghanam is used for goats. Okay? It is used for what? Goats. And people who own livestock, okay, especially in that area, in the Arabian Peninsula back then, goats were, you know, they made the majority of the flock that, or the livestock that an individual would own. So from this, the word ghanam or maghanim, maghanam is used for war booty, spoils, meaning a lot of quick gain. A lot of quick gain. Okay, benefit, profit. So if you want worldly benefit, then the reality is that Allah has many acquisitions, meaning many things. Allah can give you better. What can you get by killing one person who is innocent? What can you get? You can get a little bit. What's the point? Compare that with what Allah can give you. What Allah can give you is far greater, far better. كَذَلِكَ كُنْتُمْ مِنْ قَبْلُ you were like that before as well. Kadalika, just like that, kuntum you were min qabl before. Meaning, put yourself in the shoes of that individual. There was a time when you were not Muslim, or you had just recently embraced Islam, or you were hiding your Islam. 
Because there were many people who had embraced Islam, but because of political reasons, financial reasons, a lot of social pressure, they were not able to do hijrah. And when they were not able to do hijrah to Medina, and they stayed with their people, the Muslims did not necessarily know about their Islam. So Allah reminds them that remember that time when you were in a very similar situation? You were in Mecca, hiding your Islam. You were living in so much difficulty. And then what happened? فَمَنَّ اللَّهُ عَلَيْكُمْ Then Allah bestowed His favor upon you. From man, mim, noon, noon. What was the favor of Allah upon you? That He gave you the chance, the opportunity to migrate, to do hijrah. He gave you the strength to migrate. He gave you the chance to embrace Islam. He gave you the chance to confess openly. He gave you the chance to migrate and to practice freely. فَمَنَّ اللَّهُ عَلَيْكُمْ So if someone has not yet been given that chance to confess their Islam openly, to declare it, or to do hijrah, or to practice freely, then don't think that they're just pretending to be Muslim. فَتَبَيَّنُوا So clarify, investigate, find out. إِنَّ اللَّهَ Indeed Allah كَانَ He is ever بِمَا تَعْمَلُونَ With whatever that you do خَبِيرًا He is fully acquainted. So everything you do, He is acquainted of it. What you're doing, the reason behind it, your intention behind it, Allah knows about that. So fear Him. So in this ayah, what do we learn? We learn about the importance of investigating about a matter before taking any action. And the more serious that action is, the more serious those steps are, the more investigation is required to be done. It means an innocent person may be harmed. And human life is not cheap. Killing an innocent person, harming him, is something that is not something small. It's actually very serious. So before you take any steps, then what should you do? Investigate. Now how can we apply this in our daily lives? How can we? Because Qur'an is relevant to everybody, right? So how can we apply this in our daily lives? That before we blame someone, before we accuse someone, before we hold someone responsible, okay, what should we do? Find out. So for example, you walk into your kitchen, and you see that there's a broken dish on the floor. And you're like, my husband is so careless. This is your immediate reaction. Or you say, my brother is so irresponsible. Right? Your immediate reaction, based on your assumption. And then there you are trying to clean up the mess. And then as he walks and you start yelling at him, you say, can't you be careful? And if you make a mess, if you break a dish, can't you clean it up? He's like, what are you talking about? I have no idea. You're like, don't pretend. And then there goes an argument. You're blaming him and he's, he has absolutely no idea about what you're talking about. And in reality, what happened? Because you didn't put the dishes properly in the dish rack. One of them fell over, which caused the other one to fall over. And as a result, the dishes got broken because of your fault, not because of somebody else's fault. But you blamed someone else. And as a result, there was a fight. As a result, good relations were spoiled. So what should be done? Before we accuse someone, where did you put my books? Where is my bag? Where is my laundry? Why did you do this? Why did you do that? Before we blame people, before we are too quick to jump to conclusions, let's investigate. Because remember, al-ajalatu 
من الشيطان. Hastiness is from shaitan. Another important lesson we learn here is that we should deal with people based on their apparent. We don't know about the reality of a person's heart. What's inside. Whether a person is pretending or they are really speaking the truth. So what are we supposed to do? Doubt them? Doubt their honesty constantly? Because unfortunately we're always doubting people. Right? We're always uncomfortable with other people. We feel insecure with them. We feel that maybe they are you know, cheating us. Maybe they are deceiving us. So we do not trust anyone. And we put this fear in the hearts of little children. So as they grow up, they learn that we do not trust anybody at all. When we don't trust anybody, we don't even greet someone. And if somebody greets us, we don't even respond to their greeting. If somebody smiles at us, we look at them strange. If somebody tries to have a conversation with us, we do not respond to them. And as a result, what happens? We cut off from the rest of the society. And our children are even more cut off from the rest of the society. We are only you know, limited to who? Our very close network of friends and family. And beyond that, what's going on in the world, we don't know. We don't trust anybody. This kind of mistrust in other people is something that is harmful to an individual. It doesn't mean that a person should not be smart and that he should go on trusting anybody. No. But if someone, they say something to you, take them on their apparent. If they say something that's completely ridiculous, then obviously you have a reason to be doubtful. And even when you're doubtful, what should you do? Refuse them? Negate them immediately? No. Investigate. We take one of these two extremes. Either we fully accept and support, and as a result we get deceived, we're not smart, or we go and completely you know, refuse people or oppose them or reject what they say. There has to be a balance. Deal with people based on their apparent. But also analyze what they're saying. If it's something that is possible, then accept. But if it's something that doesn't make sense or you're not qualified to understand that matter, then refer to those people who are qualified. فَتَبَيَّنُوا then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, لا يستوي القاعدون The qa'idun, those people who sit, they are not yastawi. Yastawi from the root letters, seen, wow, ya. Sawiya, to be the same, to be equal. Istiwa is when two things are exactly the same, they're equal. Okay? Istiwa is what? To be equal. It has different meanings as well. Another meaning of istiwa is to rise. Okay? But that is when it's followed by Allah. So anyway, over here, لا يستوي, He is not equal. He is not the same. He is not identical. He is not like the other. Who? القاعدون, those people who sit. من المؤمنين, from among the believers, who are غير أولي الضرر, who are other than the disabled. So such people who sit back, who don't go forth, they are not the same as who? وَالْمُجَاهِدُونَ فِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ And those people who strive in the cause of Allah. Two groups are being mentioned over here. Two kinds of people are being mentioned over here. Who are they? First of all, القاعدون. And secondly, مُجَاهِدُونَ You can say they're like opposites. Okay? 
Qa'idun. Qa'idun is from Qa'ada. Plural of Qa'id. Qa'ada. What does Qa'ada mean? What does Qa'ada mean? To sit down. When someone is sitting, when someone remains seated, what does it mean? They're not standing. They're not going to move. They're not going to walk. They're not going to go forth. Rather, they will remain where they are inactive. So Qa'id doesn't just mean someone who is sitting, but it refers to someone who is inactive. Someone who stays behind. Someone who doesn't take any steps to go forward. He stays where he is. Someone who is not participating in something. Because if you are participating in something, then you can't be seated. What will you do? You will stand up, you will move around, you will go forth. But if you remain seated, that means you are not participating in anything. And these qa'idun, Allah clarifies, they are obviously minal mu'mineen, they are from the believers. But they are غَيْرُ أُولِ Other than the disabled. أُولِ Uli possessors of الضرر. What does ضرر mean? Harm. So those with disabilities. Meaning, أُولِ are those who have some kind of disability that prevents them from getting up. That prevents them from going forth. That doesn't let them participate. And such a person is excused. For example, if you have guests coming over and you have to prepare food for them, and you just sit in front of the television. What does that mean? You are qa'id. You have no reason to just sit there. You're not participating. But if you are sick and you're lying in bed, and this is the reason why you're not participating, are you excused? Are you excused? Yes, you are. What will your mother say? Go take some rest. Go lie down. I'll do it myself. It's okay. Why? Because you have a reason, you have a genuine reason preventing you from taking action. So, ulil darab are those who are not able to participate because of some genuine reason. What is a genuine reason? Al-darab. Examples of darab? For example, physical disability. A person is blind. A person is not able to walk properly. Or a person is extremely old in age. Alright? Likewise, some mental disability. Alright? So there are many reasons that can prevent a person from going forth. The qa'idun that are being mentioned over here are which ones? Those who stay behind without a genuine reason. They are able to go. There is nothing preventing them. Still, they do not go forth in the cause of Allah. They do not take any extra steps to earn His pleasure. So such people... Allah says they are not the same as those who strive in the cause of Allah. Who are the mujahidun? Mujahidun, plural of mujahid, one who does jihad. And the word jihad is from juhud. Jim hadad. What does juhud mean? A person's power, his ability, his strength. And jihad also. Jihad with the fatha on the jim. Jihad is to strive, to exert strenuously, is to overload a camel. So combine these two meanings of jihad and juhud. That gives you jihad. And what is that? That a person exerts one's maximum ability. You exert strenuously the maximum that you can with your full ability. You give it your best. To do what? To obey Allah. To worship Allah. 
right? To promote the cause of Allah, to defend the deen of Allah. So for example, you are sleeping, all right? You are sleeping. And we learn from a hadith that when a person is sleeping, then what happens is that shaitan comes and he ties three knots on the nape of the person. The nape is the back of your neck, okay? And shaitan, he pats, you know, as he's making the knot, on each knot, he pats the person saying, you have a long night ahead of you, so sleep. You have a long night, keep sleeping, there's still time. How much time is there sometimes? Two minutes. But shaitan says, 10 seconds, just sleep for 10 seconds. Just sleep for half a minute. Just take one more minute. So anyway, this is what he does. Saying that you have a long night, so sleep. So if a person wakes up and remembers Allah, then one knot is untied. If he performs wudu, then another knot is untied. And if he prays, then all the knots are untied. So he wakes up in the morning, active, energetic, pleasant at heart. And if he does not wake up, and he sleeps through his fajr, he sleeps through the prayer, he listens to shaitan, then he enters the morning wicked-hearted and very lazy. Why did I mention this hadith over here? Because sometimes when you have to wake up in the morning, then you are literally doing jihad. How? That you are exerting your full force to just get out of that bed. First of all, make up your mind that I am going to get up now. When shaitan is telling you, Oh, there's half an hour still. Oh, there's still 15 minutes. There's still 5 minutes. Right? But then you make up your mind that, No, I am going to get up. Your eyes are dry. They won't open. Your body may be not cooperating with you. Your bed is like sucking you in. It's like a vacuum holding you back. Hmm? So at that time, when a person exerts his maximum inner strength and determination, and then he uses physical strength as well, to just get out of that bed, to say, A'udhu Billahi Rajim, to make it to the washroom, to perform wudu, then what is this? Then what is this? Jihad, right? So jihad, mujahid, is someone who strives in the cause of Allah, to obey Allah, to come closer to Allah. Let me give you another example. You're sitting in the Qur'an class. Let's say, in Tajweed class. After sitting in class for two hours, half an hour of groups, and then one and a half, and then two hours of tafsir, and then you have half an hour of Tajweed at the end, Qur'an recitation. And as you're reading, your mouth is drying up, literally drying up. Your throat is hurting. Your back is hurting. Your eyes are closing. And all you want to do is just close your books, pack your bag, and get up and go. But at that time, if you remain seated, and you keep reciting, as your teacher instructs you, louder, clearer, pronounce this makhraj clearly, do gunna here, stretch the mud, and your mouth is drying, your throat is hurting, but you keep going, what is this? Basically, if you think about it, jihad is what? Sacrifice. When you have to give something up, you have to give something up, your comfort, your pleasure, your convenience, your free time. Why? To obey Allah, to come closer to Allah, to please Him, to make Him happy, to defend Islam, to promote Islam, to clarify Islam, whatever that reason is. But what are you doing? 
Essentially you are sacrificing. So sometimes you have to sacrifice a cup of tea which is very very dear to you. Right? Sometimes you have to sacrifice your sleep. Sometimes you have to sacrifice your physical comfort. You have to sacrifice. Now there are two types of people. One kind of servant of Allah is someone who just performs the bare minimum. He says, okay, I have to pray five times a day. Alright. I have to do hajj once. I've done. I pray five times a day. And I only perform the fad salah. Zakat, yes, I will give it. Fasting Ramadan, yes, fasting only in Ramadan. I will do that. This is what? Bare minimum. Okay, this person is also good. It's very good that he's performing the bare minimum. But there is another individual who takes the religion at the level of sacrifice. How? One is to recite Qur'an in salah. Is that mandatory? Yes. And the other is to recite Qur'an outside of salah as well. Do you not have to sacrifice something over there? What do you have to sacrifice? Huh? Your time, your comfort. Because for some people, reciting the Qur'an is like exerting a lot of physical effort. Because to take out those makharij, to pronounce them correctly, they really have to put in a lot of effort you know, to get that ayn out, to get that ha out, to get the dhad out. They have to recite each word perhaps three, four times to get it right. For some people, it's very easy. But for others, they really have to focus and pay attention. And So what is that? That is sacrifice. Likewise, one is that a person says, yeah, I believe in the Qur'an. Yeah, I recited the Qur'an once in my lifetime. Okay, bare minimum. And the other is that, no, I believe in the Qur'an. I have recited the Qur'an. I do recite the Qur'an in salah. I have memorized some portions, but I also want to know the meaning of it so that I can understand the Qur'an. And if people have questions, I can answer them. I can clarify their doubts. I can pass on the message of the deen. I can pass on the message of the Qur'an to others as well. So this is what? an extra effort that a person is making for the cause of Allah. One person is she who sleeps in the night. Another person is she who wakes up and prays. Isn't that sacrifice? It is. One person is she who eats throughout the day and another is she who is fasting. Isn't that sacrifice? Yes. So there are different kinds. There are different kinds of sacrifice in the cause of Allah. And that comes when you have a greater goal, when you have a greater goal, when you want to go forwards, one person is sitting in front of the television, another person is getting up to take the mushaf, to go to a class, to sit in front of the teacher, to recite Qur'an, to listen to Qur'an, to take notes, to understand. One person is just sitting on the kitchen table, sipping on their cup of tea. Another person is also sitting over there, but what are they doing? Writing out their assignment. Opening the juz, back and forth, back and forth. Finding a hadith online, opening another book and finding a reference. Why? To do their assignment. Isn't the sacrifice? Now sometimes when we compare, you know, if we are sacrificing something in the cause of Allah, if we're taking an extra effort in His cause, we start comparing ourselves with other individuals. And then what do we do? We pity ourselves. What was I thinking? What was I thinking? Why am I being so hard on myself? It's not mandatory to memorize the Qur'an. Who said it's mandatory to understand the meaning of the Qur'an? So what if I don't? So sometimes, shaitan, what does he do? He frightens us. He wants that we should keep delaying such great goals. Or that we don't give importance to them. That we perform just the bare minimum. But what does Allah say? 
Allah says that these two people are not the same. They're not equal. One is performing bare minimum, another is sacrificing. How can they be the same? It's not possible. لا يستوي القاعدون من المؤمنين غير أولي الضرر والمجاهدون في سبيل الله بأموالهم وأنفسهم Some people are sacrificing, struggling in the cause of Allah with their wealth and their selves. Meaning they are spending their money and they're sacrificing their money and they're also exerting themselves. So how can they be equal to someone who is not doing that? Someone who works, can he be equal to someone who is sitting idle? Never. Someone who studies, can he be equal to someone who does not study? Never. That we have taken our deen for granted. We don't take any responsibility. That we think it's okay, Allah will forgive. Not a big deal. You don't have to be too hard on yourself. Right? But it's not possible that someone tries to take an extra step to come closer to Allah. And there is another person who does not. And they are made the same. That sometimes we pity ourselves if we are taking an extra step in the cause of Allah. And sometimes it's other people who pity us. They say, oh, you must be really tired. Take care of yourself, hon. Take it easy. You have only two days off. Relax. Take a break. Maybe don't go this weekend. Take a break next weekend. And what do you say to them? Next weekend is a break anyway. That we see this at the time of the Prophet ﷺ as well. That the Bedouin who came and asked, the Prophet ﷺ told him to do the bare minimum. Right? He will also make it to Jannah inshallah if he performs the bare minimum. But the companions, did they say, oh, we just need to do the bare minimum? No. They excelled. They did more. And as a result, they reached far higher levels in this world and also in the hereafter. Allah says, فَضَّلَ اللَّهُ الْمُجَاهِدِينَ Allah has preferred who? The mujahideen, those who strive. بِأَمْوَالِهِمْ وَأَنفُسِهِمْ With their properties and their lives. Someone who sacrifices his property, his wealth, his money. Every few months he's giving a few or she's giving a few hundred dollars in their fees. Purchasing another juz again. Purchasing another book again. This is what? Spending in the cause of Allah. Why? Why do you have to do that? Because you are taking an extra step. You have a greater goal. So, فَضَّلَ اللَّهُ الْمُجَاهِدِينَ بِأَمْوَالِهِمْ وَأَنفُسِهِمْ Such people, Allah has preferred them. Over who? عَلَى الْقَاعِدِينَ Over those people who just sit back. He has preferred them darajatan With a rank. Meaning a rank higher. A degree higher. The Prophet ﷺ said, there are a hundred grades in paradise that Allah has prepared for those who struggle in His cause. And between each two grades is the distance between heaven and earth. So these hundred grades are just for who? Special grades for who? Those who strive in the cause of Allah. Within them are also darajat. And those who don't strive in the cause of Allah, obviously they have a much lower level, right? When it comes to this dunya, if you want to go higher, don't you have to put an extra effort? Don't you have to put an extra effort? You do. And constantly, what are we being pressurized to do? To go higher, to move forward. You know, when you are in high school, people ask you, so when are you going to university? Are you going to college or university? What are you going to study? This or that? Right? Which university are you going to go to? Which college are you going to go to? Which program are you going to take? 
Because there's a pressure. You have to move forward. You have to go higher. Right? And obviously that means sacrifice. You're going to have to pay for it. You're going to have to study for it. You're going to have to struggle for it. But it doesn't stop there. When you graduate, then what do people ask? So are you going to go for your graduate studies? Are you going to go for your postgraduate studies? And if you're not going that way, if you want to start working immediately, then there's a constant pressure that you have to go higher and higher and better and better and more and more. And what does that mean? That you constantly have to struggle, struggle, struggle. Study, work, put in extra hours, make more money on the side so that you can pay for your tuition. Isn't that so? So if the worldly ranks require so much effort and sacrifice, then definitely the ranks of the Akhirah, the ranks in Jannah, you think they come easy? They don't come easy. We have this university professor and he has over 13 degrees and he has five PhDs. So when he had an interview that, why do you have so many degrees? He said, I can't stop here. I just have to keep going. Right? And I was just thinking, if we do the same thing about we have to just keep going to like the last minute, yes. To get into Very true. Very true. A qarid person, someone who's just sitting back, what does he say? It's enough. It's okay. Why bother? But the mujahid, the one who's struggling in the way of Allah, the one who has a higher goal, what is his attitude? Gotta have more. It's not enough. It's not a bother. It's a privilege. It's not a bother. It's an honor. So it's a completely different way of thinking. You know, this is just like there's a person who doesn't care much about cleanliness. And then there's a woman who cares a lot about cleanliness. Alright? The boy or the brother, he doesn't see. He doesn't see the wet counter. He doesn't see the wet floor. He doesn't see the soap bubbles all over the floor. He doesn't see that. But as a sister walks in, what does she see? She sees hair and she sees water and she sees all these yucky things and she can't tolerate them. Right? Why? Difference of perspective. Difference of perspective. One says, what's the big deal? It's okay. Relax, chill. It's only for your body, right? They have different attitude. Another person's like, no way, it's not acceptable. They will spend an hour cleaning that place. You know, it's like sometimes you tell your brother, please vacuum the floor. He vacuums the floor within two seconds, two minutes literally. And then when you go to vacuum, you take ten minutes? You wonder, am I slow or does he doesn't do it properly? Alright, or does he not do it properly? What's the problem here? So anyway, there's a difference of perspective. There's a difference of attitude. And when there's difference of perspective, difference of attitude, difference in effort, difference in performance, difference in the final result, then there will be difference in the eyes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as well. Allah. Allah has preferred one over the other. But at the same time, Allah assures that وَكُلًّا and to each, meaning the qa'id, as well as the mujahid, every believer who performs the bare minimum, every individual, وَعَدَ اللَّهُ الْحُسْنَى Allah has promised him a good result, a good end. Meaning jannah. Meaning, just because someone is not doing the greatest things in Islam, doesn't mean they will never make it to jannah. No, they will, inshaAllah. But, وَفَضَّلَ اللَّهُ الْمُجَاهِدِينَ Allah has preferred the mujahideen عَلَى الْقَاعِدِينَ over the qa'idin أَجْرًا عَظِيمًا a great reward. Meaning the mujahideen will get a reward that the qa'idin will not get. The mujahideen will have something that the qa'idin will not have. High levels, great reward, much more enjoyment that the qa'idin cannot have. 
Have you ever experienced this in your life? That you are in some place with some other people and they have been given something better than you have been given. Have you ever experienced this? Maybe in an airplane? That as you walk into the economy class and you see all these small, small seats, these such congested seats, right? And then you see people going the other way and then you just look and you're like, wow. And then you can smell this delicious food and you're like, why isn't it coming? Why isn't it coming? It was never meant for you. And you accidentally go into the washrooms on that side and you're like, oh wow, they're being served as if you were served at a restaurant. There's a difference, right? At that time, what do you wish? Oh, I wish I was also amongst them. And you pity yourself. I can't afford business class. Oh, it's so expensive. Why? And you start pitying yourself. And you feel left out. It's not a good feeling. Has it ever happened with you that you go with your friend to a store and there she's shopping and buying one thing after the other and you're just standing, giving her advice, suggesting to her what she should get and what not? And you're not going to get anything because you don't have the money for it. How do you feel? Horrible. You feel sad. Yes, you tell yourself, this is my decree and I accept it and whatever. But you feel sad. So if in this dunya we're not happy with it, you think we'll be happy with it in Jannah? In the hereafter? Then why do we settle for less? When we don't settle for less in this world, then how can we be happy with settling with less in Jannah? Assalamu alaikum. Okay, so personally speaking, I'm a teacher by profession. And you know, like, um, the system right now is really flooded with teachers. And I have these thoughts of like, why didn't I pursue French in high school? Like, I would have had so many more opportunities for myself. Why didn't I just work a little bit harder? And because uh, I didn't like French. I'm like, why didn't I just work a little bit harder and pursue that? I would have so many more doors open for me. And I was just reflecting right now and I was thinking, Subhanallah, we don't want to have that regret in the hereafter. Like, why would, couldn't we work hard like the Mujahideen, you know? And like, why were we the ones that were, uh, you know, not participating and left behind? Mm-hmm. So I was just, you know, drawing a parallel over there that I feel that, you know, I didn't pursue French and I'm feeling the loss right now, but I do not want to feel that loss in the hereafter. Very true. Very true. So for that, what is necessary? That we sacrifice in the cause of Allah. Over here. Over here. I was just thinking that when we go to Jannah, inshallah, like the people who are be at the lower levels, if we just, I was imagining myself that looking at people who are going up the stairs to a higher level and just how much regret I would feel if I was down there. You know, even in a hotel, right? Or in an apartment building, if you live in an apartment building and you get off on the third floor and there are people who are going on the 25th floor, you feel a difference. And you wonder, oh, they live at the penthouse. I wonder what the view is like. Right? That must be such an awesome feeling that you can see the entire city from their bedroom window, from their balcony. So in this dunya, we feel it so much over little, little things. Assalamu alaikum. I was thinking about uh, when you wish in dunya, the thing is maybe it will come true. And maybe not. And you, you don't care if it doesn't come true, right? But in Akhira, it's something that's not going to come back again and you make up for it. Because in Akhira, khalas, that's it. There is nothing you can no, do no about No more it. chances. No chance. right? This is your only chance. that You can go as high as you want, as far as you want, but this is the chance that you have. So, 
In concept, this is something very amazing. We understand. Now, in practical life, how can we implement this? How can we implement this? Because if we don't know how to implement this, then what's the point? We had a wow feeling, an amazing feeling, an amazing moment, but what next? That the opportunities that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sends our way, taking advantage of them, benefiting from them, not losing them. For example, this week in class only, it's an opportunity for you to learn the Qur'an, to study the Qur'an while you're working, while you're studying. It's a great effort on your part. But if you think about it, there are people who have studied in this manner and within a period of three, four, five, six, how many ever years they have managed to study the entire Qur'an. Yes, it took time, but eventually after those six years or five years or four years or three years, they have something that other people don't have. Right? They have earned something that other people have not earned. There are times when you have to get up for prayer, when you have to recite the Qur'an, when you have to do something that's important. Struggling against yourself at that time. Honestly, I think these days, the best way that we can do jihad is by learning knowledge and by taking it seriously. Hmm? Learning knowledge of the deen and then taking it seriously. Taking up a class, and for that you have to sacrifice. Maybe you have to quit your job. Maybe you have to delay your schooling. Maybe you have to defer your offer of uh, admission in a university, right? For whatever studies, you may have to delay that for some time. But you want to take the knowledge of the deen very seriously. And that means that you're really going to struggle for the next little while. Every time I've tried to learn something, I feel it was regretful while I was learning it. But after I learned it, and after I decided to apply it to my life, I found that it's so much more useful and I don't regret it anymore. Yes, very true. Pushing yourself a little bit more. When you have your exams, then what happens? You're up all night, you're studying, studying, and then 10 minutes before Fajr, you fall asleep. So push yourself a little bit more. For the next 10 minutes, pray and then sleep. Or when you have to study for your exam, then what do you do? You push yourself, right? So likewise, when you have to study for your just test, when you have to study for your lesson, then pushing yourself a little bit more. Assalamu alaikum. Just to encourage the sister who was saying that she didn't take a French course when she was uh, in high school, I think it's never too late. So she could go back and take her class. Like my example... I study all my studies in French and I went back and learned English six years ago and now I'm fluent. I could speak, I could understand everything. Before, I loved to watch opera, but I couldn't understand opera. And today I listen to all the lectures. I don't care about opera anymore, alhamdulillah. And then I come back now to learn Arabic and English. So in this world, In this life, you always have a second chance. It's never too late. Even if you're 60 years old and you feel that you haven't done what you should have done, you can still learn the Qur'an. You can still study the hadith. And you see this. This is a reality. There are people who are very old, but still they will learn the deen. I remember a lady who was about 80 years old, and she did a ta'lim al-Qur'an. And then she went on doing her hadith course, and she passed away. I still remember so old, but she didn't tell herself, oh, I've lost my opportunity, I've lost my chance. So at this age, struggling, 
right? At this age, struggling with your physical problems, with your arthritis or your diabetes or your whatever health condition, and taking your deen seriously, this is jihad. You see other women who are of similar age, similar physical abilities, but what are they doing? They're enjoying their grandchildren, right? They're enjoying their comfortable homes because they worked all their lives to make their house so comfortable, their backyard so nice. They can spend their time over there. They can go shop online. They can go to the mall. You know, have a good, easy life, have long barbecues and long family dinners. But jihad means that you sacrifice a part of that. Sometimes a small fraction, sometimes a big fraction. Why? So that you can do something for the cause of Allah. You can do something for the Akhirah. You can do something for Jannah. For some people, it's so hard to like go forward in the Islam because they're being held back by the worldly matters and they think you know, they're going to wake up tomorrow to all of this. So that's why they're so caught up. And, you know, I was remembering that story of the woman you said that was in her prayer and she died right there. And, you know, Allah can take your life away so quickly. And then they blame the Islam for being too hard. But, you yes. know, there's so many people that can make it both work and they, like, sacrifice and, you know, and make it, like, balanced. Yes. So if we, like, work towards that, it's not hard. You know? Definitely. It's not impossible. It's not hard. Last comment? There was some guy, I forgot how old he was, but he was really old, like 87, 88. Then you should say man. All right. <laughs> there was a man who was really old, and he never knew how to read or write. And he learned, and about like a year after or something, he died. And so I, I was thinking that, I don't know why he never learned how to read or write, but... He didn't excuse himself yeah. at that age, that it's too late for me. So the attitude of... Mujahid is that he doesn't excuse himself. And we see that even someone who has a disability, even he can go forth in the cause of Allah. And we see this in the companions. Didn't they go forth in the cause of Allah? Do you remember that companion who said that I want to enter Jannah limping on this lame leg of mine? Didn't he say that? So someone who really wants to go forward does not give himself an excuse. Rather he gives his excuse a black eye. Why? Because he wants a higher rank. Allah says, darajatim minhu. High ranks. Darajat, plural of darajat. Degrees of high position. Minhu, from him. Wa maghfira, and forgiveness. Wa rahmah, and mercy. Wa kan Allahu ghafoora rahima. And Allah is ever forgiving and merciful. Ever forgiving and merciful. So there are some people who aspire for higher ranks. That's what they want. So they struggle in the cause of Allah. And when they do that, then what do they get? High ranks in the hereafter? Forgiveness as well as mercy of Allah. That helps them go through the difficulties of this life. Gradually improving your life, your lifestyle, your habits for the cause of Allah to be more obedient to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's better than just remaining as you are. And when a person falls in this trap of, it's okay, it's not necessary to do it. It's not mandatory. What's the big deal if I leave it? Then what happens? He ends up falling behind. Isn't that so? He ends up falling behind. Because if you're not striving to move forwards, then what happens? You will definitely fall behind. I read somewhere that learning, gaining knowledge, is like rowing your boat against the water flow. Okay? So if you will keep Struggling, you will actually move on. But if you stop, then what will happen? You will fall behind. You will fall really, really behind. 
So when a person does not have this attitude of moving forwards, sacrificing for the cause of Allah, struggling in the way of Allah, then what happens? He ends up doing the bare minimum, and then a time comes where he even compromises, where he leaves the bare minimum as well. You know that shaitan will not tell you don't pray fajr. What will he tell you? Tahajjud is not fault. Right? He will tell you, it's okay, you don't have to pray immediately. Isha was so late, so you don't have to pray as soon as fajr began. You can pray just 10 minutes before fajr ends as well. This is what shaitan will tell you. So what will happen? When you will aim to get up 10 minutes before fajr ends, then what will happen? A time will come where you will also miss your fajr. Because the alarm will go off, you will hit snooze, and you'll say two minutes, and there you sleep for the next 15 minutes. And you wake up and you realize the time is gone. Right? So when we don't have this attitude of improving, of going forwards, then what happens? We fall behind. We compromise. 